0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller.
1: This morning's passage comes from Daniel chapter 6, verses 16 through 28, which is page 744 in your Pew Bible. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought for him, <coughs> were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found to him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives." And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, "'Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end.'" He delivers and rescues. He works and signs, (coughs) and wonders in the heaven on earth, who he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Please be seated.
0: Good morning. If um, you have a Bible. Or use a digital device. You'll probably want to turn open to Daniel. I uh, mentioned this at the in the first service. This is one of those weeks where I just feel um, I feel the uh, spiritually. I just feel it's. I feel heavy. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. It just feels heavy. We're halfway through Daniel, and um, in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to yeah, we'll be introduced to this king who is coming. But I feel like to get there, uh, we need to talk about some things. And so I don't know what your posture of prayer is, but I'm going to pray, and I invite you to pray along with me um, that God will prepare our hearts, in our minds, and he will humble us as we sit under his word. So I'm going to pray. The word of God says, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord God, I ask that you would open our eyes today. Soften our hard hearts today. Give us ears to hear today what it is that you want to speak to us through your spirit and through the proclamation of your word. God, humble us. Wake us up. Awaken in us a desire that hungers and thirsts for you. And have your way through the power of your spirit. May he move in our midst to to, to, to break whatever strongholds that are surrounding our lives, to break those down, to humble us so that we might see you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard of the word revival or awakening. They're synonymous. They mean the same thing. What I want you to understand what revival is not is that it is not a gathering where there's a sermon full of manipulative appeals to renew your vows to Jesus. That is not a revival. The revival I'm talking about is the kind of thing that happens that only God can do through the power of his spirit. And it's only happened in our world since the birth of the church. In their book on revival titled A God-Sized Vision, which I commend to you. I think you should read it. It's really good. It talks about these different stories, how the Spirit of God moved powerfully. Colin Hansen and John Woodbridge, who wrote the book, said of genuine revival that the Holy Spirit contends and convicts, but he does not manipulate as he grants Christians a new experience of God's presence and power. When revival uh, happens, the kind of revival that I'm talking about, the church first uh, develops a a renewed uh, appreciation and love for the central truths of Scripture, like the authority of the Word of God, that sinners are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that the death of Jesus on the cross is enough to cover all of our sins that Jesus' miraculous resurrection is not only real, but we feel the weight of that. We, 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 we experience the power of that in our lives. That the sovereign intervention of God in our world is a reality. That he is active and moving in our world. And, that, and also what awakens in the church when revival has an awareness of God's holiness and judgment of sin. You know, we've had four, at least that I can count, four awakenings or revivals that have happened. I'm not going to go into the details of those. You can download the manuscript and read a little bit about those later this week. But they, the guys who wrote this book said during revival, the church worships, prays, preaches, and evangelizes only with intensified force. One person who was a part of one of the uh, awakenings it lasted about a, a year was with a bunch of businessmen, started in a prayer meeting. He said, in the church there is a genuine revival when she rises and shakes herself from the dust and puts on her beautiful garments which have been laid aside to her great discomfort and reproach. In 1904, one of those awakenings, it's known as the, the, uh, the Welsh uh, awakening, it started in Europe and it found its way, it spread to North America. When it came to our country, it spread to Pennsylvania. It um, found its way to North and South Carolina, to Georgia, Taylor University, Yale University, Asbury College, and of all places, Denver, Colorado. To my knowledge, it never reached Wyoming. Police reported a 60% drop in drunkenness and 40% fewer people in jail. This is what I find interesting. Profanity so diminished in the coal mines that the mining horses responsible for pulling the coal, the coal carts did not understand the commands of the miners. <laughs> Revivals, they don't happen frequently, and when they happen, they seem to be, it seems to be quick, kind of like a brush fire it comes through And that's it. But it is for, I believe, the purpose of awakening the church to the mission that God has called her to. It awakens from what, everything I've read about revivals, it awakens first a renewed love in the people of God for the God of the Bible. In America, the church is sick. And to prepare our hearts for the rest of Daniel, I just want to take time to to talk about why Daniel was written, I'm going to talk about why the book of Revelation was written because Revelation, the book of Revelation is the New Testament counterpart to Old Testament Daniel. And then I'm going to give you three call presuppositions that you need to wake up in the morning understanding and believing if, um, if you're going to live the Christian life well. In Christian circles, there is a danger, especially in my tribe, of evangelicalism. To read Daniel, especially chapter 7 through 12, which is highly prophetic, and then Revelation, the book of Revelation, and read it and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm going to be raptured out of the world, and and this is just for the rest of the world, and the rest of the world can go to hell, and I get to watch from heaven. (laughs) That is not the point of Daniel or the book of Revelation. In fact, I believe from everything I read in the Scriptures that we will not be exempt from a time of trouble that is coming, but we're certainly not exempt from suffering. And Daniel and the book of Revelation, these books serve to, to encourage the people of God, to stand firm with our eyes fixated on the God of all creation, on our Savior Jesus Christ, and to be able to stand against the idols of our heart and the idols that surround us. Like Tim Keller said, most idols uh, are good things that we've made ultimate things in our lives. To be able to stand against, if you've been tracking with this sermon series, the spirit of Babylon. There was the physical Babylon, and then there was the spiritual Babylon that the book of Revelation talks about. To stand against that, to be encouraged as you as you live out your your faith and you and you represent the King of Kings before a watching world that doesn't know Him. I want to talk about why Daniel was written first, and I'm going to give you I'm going to list three things that you need to wake up in the morning believing. In Genesis 11, a group of people and I shared, I talked about this in the first sermon in Daniel. A group of people got together to build a tower for themselves. It's called the Tower of Babel. Why did they do it? They wanted to make a name for themselves. The Spirit of Babylon is always about making a name for yourself without the involvement and with distance between you and the God who spoke everything into existence, the God of creation. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 2, this Babylon is described as a prostitute. Certain versions in the Bible use the word whore. And verse 2 says, The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. That's why I believe the spirit of Babylon permeates every culture, every generation. It's there. It's not just an, uh, an an existence in the future. It has been around since the Garden of Eden with the fall of man and woman. The Apostle John describes what he was shown in a vision in Revelation chapter 7. He said, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast That was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Jonathan can tell you this. There are seven hills that surround Rome. When the people who, when John wrote Revelation and it was shared with the church of his day, what they would have understood is the beast that the woman was riding was actually Rome, the Rome of their day. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, meaning she was beautiful, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the, the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. In the book of Revelation, anything that's written on your forehead is an ideology that you believe, and anything written on your hand is the ideology that you are living out. What was her ideology? Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Uh, When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Written on the prostitute's head was the ideology uh, that is anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-the bride of Christ, anti-church. The beast that she was riding, like I said, was Rome, but she's ridden other beasts. Every kingdom, every nation in this world, she has ridden. Even America. Revelation, if we read it and say, this doesn't apply to us. It's a warning for us from the God who, of, of all creation who loves you and treasures you and, is, and is, His desire is for your best and your good. And what is your best and what is your good is to, is to worship Him and know Him. There is nothing above God. There is none equal to God. For God to elevate anybody or anything above Himself would be idolatry and for for him to give you anything other than himself would be hateful would not be for your good and so the first 6 chapters of daniel it's really about Babylon. And when we look at the life of Daniel, we're not looking at some super-Christian here. We're not looking at some super-man of God. He, this is a, a picture of what faithfulness can look like when you're surrounded by Babylon. And it's not easy. And what you'll discover, what Daniel discovered, is that the intention of Babylon is always violence against the people of God. Always their harm. Babylon is seductive. Babylon promises joy. Beautiful. Babylon promises life. Babylon promises joy. Babylon promises fun. Babylon promises safety. Babylon makes promises that she cannot keep because she wants to rob you and destroy you of the joy and the life that God has created you for. We see her true colors after her destruction in Revelation chapter 18. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, A haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. It's a warning for us, it's a warning for the church to stand against her, to not buy into her seductive promises. Because in the end, they lead to death. The first six chapters of Daniel is a testament to that. Revelation talks about the spiritual Babylon. And every nation, every nation is sleeping with her. Every nation is buying from her. Including our country. And so, how do you live? How do you live when you're surrounded by Babylon? That's the point of Daniel. How do you live when you're surrounded by this? You know, what is she? She is anything you believe will bring you pleasure in place of a happiness that only God can give you. That's Babylon. She is a dwelling place for demons. (laughs) You think, like, America? Like every, all the other places, they, can experience, they experience demons, but that doesn't happen here. Oh, it happens. She is a haunt for every unclean and test, detestable thing. She will rob you. She will leave you empty and sick and will eventually eat you alive. I mean, you, I, I, you see it from the simplest of, of examples, like drug addiction... some of the most complex like putting your hope and your trust in a political party whether it's Republican or Democrat anything anything that weans us away from being satisfied in Jesus Christ is a whore that wants to destroy you and wants to rob you. And we, the American Church, and I—believe me—I didn't wake up thinking, or I, this week I didn't think, "Oh, let me find a sermon that will make everybody feel uncomfortable, including myself." Like, this is not fun. Like, I—like my heart rate was in the hundreds when I before I came up here. Like, this is not fun. I like. I never think about what I'm going to wear on Sunday morning. Well, I do. I mean, I, I kind of. But I mean, like, I don't think about the color of my shirt. I thought about that this morning. Like, I'm like, will red do something? <laughs> like, make people more angry? Like, this is not fun. I. I in our mining God's Word class, it's a class on you know how to study the Bible, and it's awesome. I love it. It's on Tuesdays. So I'll offer it again. But we were talking after the class, and somebody asked me, "How is it?" We have all these resources in our country. We have all these resources of how to study the Bible and know the Bible. And, and, and you know, before our eyes, like this last week was that we're you know, studying Galatians as a way of helping us understand a particular text that we're you know, studying in, in our Bibles. How is it that we have all these things, and yet it seems like we're the most anemic, sick version of the church in the world? Because what's happening is spiritual. And, and the, I, I thought maybe COVID, God would, would use COVID. Maybe he still will. He would use COVID to, to, to rescue us from that, cause us to be more dependent upon him. Because nothing uh, causes you to look up, you know, look up more than a pandemic or disease or death, right? Because then you feel helpless. But instead, I feel like we... And this is not, I'm not talking to the Meadowbrook, I'm talking about like statistics here. Like one of the symptoms of, loo- of COVID is what? Losing your taste. How many of you lost your taste? Somebody like, I'm not saying I got COVID or <laughs> I'm afraid to raise my hand. Somebody might ask me if I was vaccinated or, or not. Or <laughs> I know people who've lost their sense of taste, I know people who've lost their sense of smell. It seems like in the church some of we've lost our sense of taste to see that the lord is good and so i think this, this you know how do you stand against babylon how do you how do you live in in the midst of, of babylon when you're surrounded by babylon how do you stand against the idols of your own heart well, i think it's what you fill your mind with and and how it affects your heart, not just filling your head with knowledge, but what is it doing here? Like in, in, in your, the core of your, your, you know, the seat of your emotions, like what is it doing there? Because what we're experiencing in our world is spiritual. And it's nothing new. It's just different dress. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 tell us what we're up against. Let's read this together. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. How do we stand against these things? Well, it starts with knowing who God is. Filling our minds with Him and, and having that affect our hearts. That's what I, about, I love about Jonathan Edwards, who God used as one of the catalysts to uh, spark the first great awakening in the 1700s, in 1732. Um, he said, I aim in such a way to preach to add light to the mind and fire to the heart. That God uses His Word and through the power of his spirit, he, he a combustion can you know happens where yeah, a person is awakened and and made alive to him. It's a supernatural thing. So how do you guard against the idols and stand against Babylon? Well, I got three three presuppositions, three things. Like you know, a, a presupposition. Here's a presupposition. Um, I'm not trying to sound smart. So you have some people who believe that. Uh, we're just random chance that Earth just, there's some prior, primordial ooze, lightning struck, boom, you have a single celled organism. There's a verse for that. Psalm says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God, but people arrive at that, con- start with that conclusion. And then you have others who say, No, there's an intelligent being who's responsible for everything that we see. And for us, that intelligent being is the God that we read about in the Bible. So we've got to start there. Who is this God? That there are, and Daniel tells us. I think there's no. this is no accident. It's very intentional that there are three things that emerge from the first six chapters of Daniel that will help us stand against Babylon and the idols of our heart. And, and my hope will be one of the catalysts that launches maybe another revival or an awakening in our own hearts. In, in Wyoming, maybe. The first is this, is that only God can change times and seasons. Only God can change times and seasons. We see this in Daniel chapter 2. When, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, just check out the sermons. I've preached three separate sermons on these passages. I'm just going to highlight them. Only God can change times and seasons. In chapter 2, verse 20, Daniel just praises God, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. God is the only one who changes times and seasons. He's only, there's only one who can remove kings and set up kings. There's only one who gives wisdom and understanding. There's only one who reveals deep and hidden things. There's only one who sees what's in the darkness. And it isn't Babylon. It's not your party of choice. It's not a republic. It's not a democracy. It's God. It's not the woke culture, and it's certainly not what truth you feel is your truth. You want to stand against Babylon? You want to fight against the idols of your own heart that seek to rob and kill and destroy you, to rob you of the life that God intends for you, to rob you of the joy that you can only know in God you've got to start by understanding that you are not the measure of all that is right in this world. God is. You're not the standard of goodness. In fact, just ask the person who brought you to church today and ask them if you're the standard of goodness. I'm sure you'll get a quick answer um, if they know you well. There is only one God, and he will not share his throne with anyone, especially I looked it up, especially with wannabes like us. You know what a wannabe is? I looked it up. I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. You want to know what the Urban Dictionary says? I mean, I I know you've been dying to know this, right? Um, A wannabe, according to the Urban Dictionary, is a person who sees their self as or wants to be something they are not. We are we live in a world full of wannabes who behave or think or believe that they are something they are not. There is only one God, and he will not share his throne with any other. There is none before him, there is none equal to him. There's only him. He is the measure of all that is good and is right. Only God can change times and seasons. this is how you don't lose your brain when you turn on the news. If you, if you quit, I mean, in case you haven't quit watching the news, um, like, I don't know why. I'm like a, like a moth. just, and, and social media is like that zapper that just messes up my day. Um, like, oh, look, let me click on this and read this. Oh, now I feel wonderful about life. No, <laughs> I don't. Only God can change times and seasons. And we are a blip blip on the radar of human history. We're here and then we're gone. God raises up kings and he deposes them. And then secondly, only God is eternally sovereign and benevolent. This is, this is so good, right? I mean, this comes right from the pages of, of, of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, Uh, I'll I'll read it. Like This came from the mouth of a pagan king. God humbled him, and his response was uh, very appropriate. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. This is Daniel chapter 4. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And then it goes on to say, His dominion is an everlasting uh, dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? That will save you some anxiety. right? Hold on to that. Only God is eternally sovereign and benevolent. Anything, any ideology, or any person that you raise up as more important than God or seek from a thing, an idea, a person, thinking that they can give you what only God can give is an idol, and it will rob you of joy. Only God could give you those things. I was thinking about this. If God, in light of uh, Daniel chapter 4, if, if God... If the God of the Bible is truly God, then he must be all things perfect and nothing can be above him or equal to him. Therefore, God is equally, perfectly, and infinitely holy. God is equally, perfectly, and infinitely just. God is equally, perfectly, and infinitely powerful, wise, and all-knowing. Let that settle on your heart. If God is truly God, then He is also equally, perfectly, and infinitely merciful. This means that God is equally, perfectly, and infinitely loving. Because God is God, He is equally, perfectly, and infinitely graceful. God is all of these things, and therefore He is equally, perfectly, and infinitely benevolent. He doesn't need to improve upon Himself. I've said this a bunch of times. We do. And he, is, he is everything that is right and good. And to know Him is to, to know the, the, the joy and the peace that we were made for. We were wired for Him. We were wired from everything about us. was wired to know Him. That's what sets us apart from all of the rest of creation, from your dog and from your cat. We are human beings, created in the image of the living God, and our joy flows from knowing Him. We were made for Him. And this is why Jeremiah, in chapter 2, Jeremiah, at the height of Israel's idolatry, God accused His people of two things. He said, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is like a container that they would put out and it would collect the, the rain so they can drink from it. And God said, my people have committed two evils. They've turned from me the source of joy and contentment, they turn from me, and, and they're drinking from cisterns that are broken, stagnant water that is polluted, and as a, and knowing that, or maybe not even knowing, but as they drink it, they will get sick and they will die. They traded off, or they traded the all-sufficient God who seeks our... That's in John chapter 10, verse 10. If you want to stand firm against Babylon against the idols of your heart. you got to start with understanding that only God is eternally sovereign and benevolent. And thirdly, only God can rescue you from Babylon. You're surrounded by it. Only God can rescue you from it, and it's a miracle when he does. So the king... In Daniel chapter 6, it's manipulated into making a decree that would get Daniel in trouble for praying. He was sentenced to death by being eaten by lions, not the greatest form of death, I would think, right? He was thrown in a den, and a seal was placed over it. The king lost sleep that night he got up early the next morning. And when when he opened that seal, Daniel was alive. And the king came, you know, he, he said, Daniel, are you alive? Angel and shut the lion's mouth. He said, Yes, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O oh king, I have done no harm. And so the king made a decree which comes which informs this third, this third presupposition, this third thing that you got to be convinced of that you have to have in your mind. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, verse twenty six of chapter six, the people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall not be, be to the end or his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And as I think about this this, this decree that this pagan king Made, I I can't help but think of another den. There's a tomb. I think that's the point of Daniel six. Think about it. Daniel six comes right before Daniel chapter seven. Daniel seven chapter seven is about this king who is coming to make all things new and right. Daniel was thrown blameless from the... I have done, when he said that I was blameless, what he meant was, I was blameless from the... I have done, done nothing to, 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 to harm the kingdom. But Daniel knew that he was a sinner, just like you and like me, in need of God's redemption and forgiveness of sins. I can't help but think of that other tomb, that den... Jesus was arrested and he was brought before a crowd. The sinless, perfect human being who was completely blameless, brought before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, in an effort to try to find some way to get it so that Jesus didn't die by crucifixion, had him flogged. They flogged him. They beat him. They mocked him. Flesh was torn from his back. He was brought before that crowd and was asked, What shall I do with this man? And they cried, Crucify him. The religious leaders who wanted Jesus dead and bought into the seductive lives of Babylon. So did Pilate. So Jesus was sentenced to be crucified. He had to carry his cross to Golgotha, and he was nailed there. And his hands and his feet, over top of his head, was a sign that said, King of the Jews. And as he he hung there, he bore your guilt and my guilt, all of it, I said a while back, if anybody knows your heart better than anybody else, it's God. And he sent his son anyway. Jesus hung there and he died a death that you and I deserved. Why? To purchase for himself a bride called the church. You and me and all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He was taken down from the cross and he was placed in a tomb and it was sealed shut. And 3 days later on Sunday morning the tomb was open and he had risen from the grave. And do you want to know what was on him? It was God's stamp that said acquitted. To all who would believe in my son acquitted, pardoned, forgiven in the form of nail-scarred hands and feet, future sins. We are called, the, God calls us his treasured possession. We are the bride of Christ. We are, we are betrothed to the second member of the Trinity, something nothing or anyone in all of creation gets to claim except for redeemed human beings. That's why the Bible says that angels stand on tiptoe and marvel over this redemption that you and I have been made partakers of. How is it, I can can hear the angels singing and saying, how is it that sinners who wanted to usurp the throne of God have been offered the gift of redemption through the Son of God? And as Jesus hung on the cross, I can hear the angels quoting verses from Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will, what? Give you rest. Not Babylon. Not your political affiliation. Not the woke culture, or even the unwoke culture. We got that now. None of that. It's all Babylon. Christ is Jesus. Satisfy our hearts, brothers and sisters. Church of Christ is Jesus. Jesus alone. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And all who place their faith and trust in Christ, that is, every one of you in this room watching the live stream who has placed their trust in Jesus as the one who lived the life we could never live, died a death that we deserve, not him, and on the third day rose from the grave. I think all of heaven sings the scriptures over the redeemed of God, that's you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is one of those verses. Let's read this together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the American church is sick. And I really do believe that the only hope to wake us up is an awakening and a revival in our own hearts. And I can't manipulate that in anybody. I can't make you want, you want pizza. Right? Like I love Jonathan, too. We love pizza. Um, but I can't awaken an appetite in you for pizza. I can't make you, when you walk into like some pizza shop, especially on the East Coast, or Jonathan say, well, no, you haven't had anything until you've been to Italy. But um, I've not been there yet. But uh, when you walk in... Nobody can manipulate you into, into agreeing or believing that what you smell smells really good unless you really understand that, man, this smells awesome. I can't make you develop an appetite for pizza unless you what is created in you is an appetite and a desire for pizza. Maybe you're repulsed by pizza. Pick something else. Um I can't I can't make you open this and just savor the word of God and say, oh, "Man, this is good. This is so good. Like this is life. This is life for my hard heart. This is how my hard heart can be melted like butter. This is the word of God. I can't make you desire that. I can't make you, you know, just sense, just draw in the senses of like who God is as you read the word and and say, man, God is awesome. He is the, the, the greatest reality in my world. I want more of him. I can't do that in you. I can't. Make you taste and see that the Lord is good. I can't awaken that in you. But you know who can? The Spirit of God can do that. All I can do is open the book with you. You can open the book at home. You can read it for yourself. God is in the business of taking the power of His Word, the proclamation of His Word, along with the power of His Holy Spirit to awaken people who were dead and make them alive in him I think the only thing that will awaken a sleeping church in America is a a revival that only the Holy Spirit can bring my prayer is that the revival that we need will begin in my heart in the heart's of all in this room and watching the live stream in Meadowbrook in Wyoming turn their eyes to him and run from Babylon. I'm not saying find a hole somewhere and hide or a bomb shelter where you have canned soups stored or whatever. I'm talking by by keeping your eyes on Jesus, you can stand against the lies of Babylon and the idols of our own hearts as we engage a world that, that is bought into her seductive promises to tell them that there's only death there and to show them where life can be found and life can only be found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I don't know how your spirit is moving in the hearts of all who are here or maybe even watching the live stream. But God, I ask that if there is life that needs to be generated, spiritual life, that you would do it. That if there is any in this room who does not know your son, has not placed their faith and trust in him, the one who, who died in our place for our sins, sins that we are completely guilty of, sins that he is completely innocent of, on the cross for our sins, so that way we can be reconciled to Him. God, I pray for those in this room or watching the live stream who do not know you. God, I pray the name of Jesus, will words from Scripture that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. That all who confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart, you God, that you raised Him from the grave will be saved. God, I pray for those in this room and watching the live stream. God, I pray that they will not leave here until they talk to you about that and, and place their trust and their hope in Jesus. And for the rest of us, God, may we just repent if we need to, repent of anything that we have been seeking satisfaction in that only you can, 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 can grant. Satisfaction that can only be found in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.